Ladies and gentlemen, please silence for Mr. Rudyard Kipling. My lord, ladies and gentlemen, I am, unfortunately, a producer of fiction. Not on the lavish scale, perhaps, of our chairman, <laughs> but outside office hours, I plead guilty to taking a certain interest in facts. Will you just allow me to run through a few facts which may be of interest to our England of today? First, let it be granted that when men die, they cease to live. And as Solomon says, neither have they a portion any more forever in anything that is done under the sun. Great Britain's quota of dead in the last war was over 800,000 men when the books were closed in 21 and 22. It would be within the mark to say that three quarters of a million of these were English. Furthermore, a large but unknown number died in the next few years from wounds or disease directly due to the war. There is a third category of men incapacitated from effort by the deferred effects of shock, gas, and tubercle, and the like. These carry a high death rate because many of them burned out half a life's vitality in three or four years. They too have ceased to count. All these men were of average physique and, but that they died without issue, would have continued our race. The selective elimination of so many men of one type and their replacement by so many persons of another type and their children led to an extensive revision of all standards of English thought and action. Now there were a number of persons who, for various motives, disassociated themselves from the war at the outset. These, however, were all able to answer to their names at the close of hostilities and to rejoin the national life with a clear field before them. Still, they were not happy. There is a necessity laid upon man to justify himself to himself in order that he may continue to live comfortably with himself. Our initial errors, as we all know, are trivial. It is what we say and do to prove to ourselves that our errors were really laborious virtues which builds up the whole time hells of this life. So, 
it was in exact accord with human nature that very shortly after the war a theory should have sprung up that the war had been due to a sort of cosmic hallucination which had infected the nations concerned with a sort of cosmic hysteria. This theory absolved those who had not interested themselves in the war and by inference condemned those who had, thus supplying comfort and moral support where needed. Naturally, the notion bore fruit. For this reason, most children and all nations, when they have hurt themselves, instinctively run indoors and ask to be told a pretty tale. So it was with us. And so to us too, a tale was told. You may remember we were all a little fatigued at the time. The special virtue of our tale was that its model bases were as inexpugnable as the most upright preceptress could require. Here they are. All pain, whether it comes from hitting one's head against the table or from improvising a four years war at four days notice, is evil. All evil is wicked. And since of all evils, war gives the most pain to the most people. Wickedest of all things is war. Wherefore, unless people wish to be thought wicked, they must so order their national life that never again shall war in any form be possible. Granted the first premise, the rest of the reasoning is unanswerable on paper. But why the entire combination service should have been addressed by ourselves to ourselves is a little obscure. For if ever there was a converted nation since the days of St. Augustine, it was us. A little later, in 22 or 23, on the heels, you might say, of Rachel mourning for her children, our electorate was enlarged by the enfranchisement of all English women over 21. This gave renewed impetus to our national ideal of an ever-rising standard of living and the removal of want, discomfort and the accidents of life from the lives of all our people. To this end, we built up and are building now gigantic organizations to control and handle every detail of those lives. <coughs> but, as I shall try to show, we chose, we chose not to provide that reasonable margin of external safety without which even the lowest standard of life cannot be maintained in this dangerously congested island. The world outside England had other preoccupations. Like ourselves, it had dealt, it had been compelled to deal with an opponent, an opponent whose national life and ideals were based on a proof, a religion as it now appears, of war, which exacted that all his nationals 
should be trained at any cost to endure as well as to inflict punishment. In this, our opponent was excusable. He had won his place in civilization by means of three well-planned wars waged within two generations. He had been checked somewhat in his fourth war, but soon after the close of it, in 24 or 25, he seemed to be preparing for the fifth campaign. In this also, our opponent was excusable. <coughs> His path was made easy for him. Stride for stride with his progress towards his avowed goal, we toiled, as men toil after virtue, to cast away a half and more than a half of our defenses in all three elements and to limit the sources of their supply and renewal. <coughs> 